people. Amen? Amen. I want to talk this morning, as you can see on there, about the presence of God. The presence of God. God's got everything off on the stage. All right. Praise God. Exodus chapter 33. How many have ever felt the presence of God? How many would like to feel more of the presence of God? Has anybody ever felt too much of the presence of God? Okay, I didn't think I'd get any takers on that. I don't know about you. I have felt the presence of God. I love the presence of God, but I want more of the presence of God. Amen? Every day in my life. And I want to talk about the presence of God this morning. I think that there might not be anything greater this morning than having the presence of God in our lives. Amen? Let's read in Exodus chapter 33. The story of Moses when he stands before God. Says in verse 12, Then Moses said to the Lord, See you say to me, Bring up this people. But you've not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. How many want to find grace in God's sight this morning? Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way, that I may know you, that I might find grace in your sight, and consider this nation as your people. Now, stop right there in 13 before we continue. If you've got a pen, underline those two things. Show me now your way. How many know we need to be doing things God's way? How many know we a lot of times do things our way? Has anybody gotten in trouble that way? One of the, the, the greatest desires we should have in our heart every day is to be doing things God's way. Yes, amen. If you do things your way, you're going to get what you can get. And usually what you get when you get what people can get is bad. But if we do things God's way, we'll get God's things. And so Moses is saying, show me your way. And then he says that I might find grace. I want to remind you this morning that if it was not for God's grace, none of us would be here right now. Amen. We'd be dead. We don't need to go too far, and I am going to mention a little bit this morning, in the Old Testament to realize that we should be thankful that we weren't born in the times of the Old Testament. Because we live in the, in the grace period right now, in the church age, where God's grace is for the Gentiles, and thank God He deals with us a lot different than He dealt with the people in the Old Testament. And I, we need to understand that we, we, when we begin to feel like God, we're really doing something for God, we need to stop and say, no, 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 no. I'm not doing anything. If I have anything that's good, it's God's grace. Amen? Let's continue. And he said, my presence, verse 14, this is what you want to hear, will go with you. And I will give you rest. I believe there's some people here this morning that could use some rest. Then he said to him, if your presence, this is the, this is the spirit that you have to have in your life, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. That's the attitude of saying, God, if your presence isn't here, we should have that attitude when we come to church. When we do anything for God, we should say, God, if you don't show up, we don't want to do it. Right, right. We're not just gathering together in a religious form, in a place as a congregation of people just to say we went to church. We need to show up with an attitude. God, if you don't show up, we don't want to be there. But if we show up, we want you to be there. And remember that we're all here and we see each other and we're, we're, we're looking at physical bodies and we're in a building that's physical and we're looking at a physical screen and we're clapping physical hands. But we're here for one reason. And that is to give God glory. 
That is to lift up the name of Jesus. Amen? And they make sure that we stand in his presence all the time. And so he says, if you, I, won't, I don't want to go forth if you don't show me your presence and if you don't go with us. Let's continue to read. For now, for how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing that you've spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. That ought to excite somebody right there. I have found grace in your sight, and I know you by, you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. Listen, it don't matter how big your house is, how small your car is, how much money, money you have in the bank, anything you have in the fridge, how many clothes you got in the closet. None of that matters if you hear the words from God. You have found grace in my sight. Amen. And I know you by name. That's enough right there to be excited no matter what you're going through. Because when you begin to talk about the presence of God, what God really wants is he wants us to know him and, and love him and worship him in times of trouble. In, he wants us to be able to find a peace that passes all understanding when hell's breaking loose around us. When things are not going the way we plan them to go. How many have ever been in some dark waters in your life? Amen. If you've been alive very long, you've been through some dark waters. You've been through some troublesome times. And I want to tell you this morning that God's presence is real. And he's saying here, basically, Moses is saying, God, how are all these people around the world going to know that we are your people if we don't have your presence? How many, I want to challenge you this morning to get to a place in your walk where you say, God, I want God's presence to be so strong in my life that I don't have to say anything about you for people to want what I have. I want something to be so strong in my life, so strong in my walk, that they ask me, what is it that you have? There's something different about you. How many want God to see, or people to see, the tangible presence of God in your life? Amen? Amen? Well, guess what? we got to be with God to have His presence. I want to continue to read here. In verse 17, the Lord says, I'll do this. And then 18, He says, verse 18, He says these words, Lord, please show me your glory. I don't know about you this morning, but I want to see God's glory. Not just today, not just once, not every once in a while. I want to live in God's glory. And he says, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you and I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. Now, obviously, he's talking about no physical man will see him. Because when we die, the Bible says, we're absent from the body and present with the Lord. This corruptible body can't see his face. But how many know there's coming a day soon when we're all going to get to see him face to face? How many are ready to see your Savior face to face? Amen. No man has ever seen him in a physical body. But when we get that glory, you know, that's, that's what we don't understand. Sometimes we say, oh God, I want, I want your presence so bad. But we don't understand, God's got to be very careful with his presence. Y'all understand what I'm saying? He has to be very careful with how much he puts on us. Because this physical body can only handle so much of God's presence. 
He says, if I, if I give them too much, I might kill them. Right? And sometimes I, I'd be all right if I just died in the presence of God. Amen? God, go ahead and kill me in your presence. Amen? That'd be a good place to die. But he has to be careful with how he gives it off because he's powerful. And this human body can only handle so much. And he says, listen, watch what happens. He says, I'm going to make my goodness pass before you. And he says, you can't see my face and live. And he says in verse 21, here is a place by me. Stand on the rock. And it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock. And I'll cover you with my hand while I pass by. And then I will take away my hand and you'll see my back. But my face shall not be seen. And God's glory passed by. How many know that the same glory that passed by Moses in that rock is the glory that we can feel today in this place when we come together and worship God and lift up our hands and praise the living King? That same presence is here today. Amen. He says the same. He says, I'm the same yesterday, today and forever. Amen. And he says, if that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, it'll quicken your mortal body. Amen. Now, I want to talk a little bit about fear this morning. How many know that fear can be overcome by the presence of God? How many know anxiety can be overcome by the presence of God? Does anybody in here ever battle fear? Let me see. A couple people. Okay. We all have things that we're afraid of. We are, some people are afraid of heights. Some people are afraid of it being enclosed in small areas. And that's me. Some people are afraid of snakes. Some people are afraid of spiders. Some people are afraid of earthquakes. I have a mother-in-law in Costa Rica who is fear-stricken by earthquakes. And she lives in a country where they happen almost every day somewhere. She she might need to move. Amen? She just absolutely flips out. How many know the other day we had some pretty bad storms come through? And some of us in different areas of the city were in worse places than others. And you know what? It was a moment where people were running for cover. We have some people that live out north in Crum. They were telling me this morning, the Ayalas, for example, they said, they, man, they were in the bathroom. And they, they were praying, amen, because them winds were strong. And hail busted their skylight and tore up their car. And some certain parts of the city got it worse than others. There's a time when you can be facing some real trials and you can overcome that fear with the presence of God. Amen. That's when God really wants to show how powerful he is in those times. It's, it's, not, it's great to feel the presence of God at any time, but you can get to a place where you can say, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. Amen. There was a man in an elevator. How many are a little afraid of heights? Let me see those that are here. I'm not bothered by heights at all, but I, I, I am afraid of heights in an enclosed space. So if you've ever been, I remember me and my wife a couple years ago, actually about three or four, we went to New York to marry a friend of mine who was actually one of my teammates in Costa Rica in basketball. And we went to New York to marry him and his wife. And we got to see New York and we were traveling around for a couple days and walking around and just seeing all the sights. And of course, you have to go to the, uh, stat uh, not the Statue of Liberty, the Empire State Building. You got to go there. So I'm not afraid of heights at all. But if I could have just been thrown up to the top of the building, I'd have been good. But I had to get in an elevator. Now let me know if you're going 85 stories, that's a long time in an elevator. 
So I was all excited, you know, to get inside the Empire State Building and go up and see the view and look outside. But then we got inside and all of a sudden fear hit me when I realized the only way I'm going to get up there is in an elevator. And I don't like elevators very much. I like them when they go up real fast and get out real fast. Amen. There was another time we were in Mexico. We went to preach down there and we got some. How many have ever gotten stuck in a place of fear by accident? Then you realize it's too late. We got out the, it was late. We got in really late to the airport. It was like one o'clock in the morning. And we're with the family that picked us up. We don't know where we're going. We pull into this garage and we get out. And I'm you know, half asleep. I'm tired. We got our bags. We've been traveling all day. We had several connections. And I get out and all of a sudden, you know, we're grabbing our bags and there's a door that's opening up. And we're going in. And all of a sudden the door shuts. And I realize I'm in a very small, tiny little elevator. Okay, so when that first happens, I get scared. Because I'm enclosed. But then it gets worse when what? When that thing don't move. <laughs> if I get in an elevator and that sucker begins to move a little bit, I'm good. I'm, okay, we're moving. But if I get in there and the door shuts, one, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand. And then, okay, after how many, it seemed like an hour to me. And I'm with these people I don't know, so I can't act a fool. I'm with my kids. I don't mind acting a fool in front of them. They know I don't like enclosed spaces. But I'm with these pastor's kids. I don't know. So I'm trying to be cool. I'm seeking the presence of God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I'm looking for the, oh, Lord, thank you for your presence. I'm praying in the spirit. Amen. All of a sudden, I'm awake. Then it finally starts moving, but it doesn't move fast. I mean, it is just as slow as can be. Then I begin to think, oh, God, how many flights? Are we fixing to go up? Destiny, it was a tiny elevator, wasn't it? Guess how many times more I got on that elevator when I was there? Zero. We were on like the fifth floor. And Mexico is like, what's the elevation? It's pretty high. Mexico City, it's like as high as Denver, I think. Maybe higher. And so from the rest of the trip, the entire week we were there, stairs up and down. All five flights. Never got on that elevator again. I got good exercise, amen. We lost the weight we ate and that good Mexican food. I'm trying to tell you, though, there are situations that you get afraid. When I got in that one in the Empire State Building, thank God it was fast. It went pretty fast. Anybody else been on that elevator? It gets up there pretty fast. Not fast enough, but it gets up there. But there are times when you are in some scary moments, and you can, I don't know what people do that don't know God. Except cuss and drink and do drugs and freak out. Amen. I, I, I thank God that in times of trouble, I can find the presence of God. And if you know God this morning, you can know this morning that his presence is real and it's tangible. And there was a guy that was in an elevator, just like I was talking about going into a high rise building. He was a little like me, a little afraid of, high, of, high, of being enclosed and heights. And all of a sudden his worst fear happened. They're in between floors and the elevator stops. I thank God, Lord, you just don't take me there, amen. That's never happened to me, thank God. I've never got stuck in an elevator. But it might be because I don't get in them too much. But this thing stopped, and all of a sudden there was a bunch of people in there, and people start slamming on the walls. People start screaming. How many know screaming is not going to help you get out of an elevator? And punching the walls is not going to help. If you're like 30 floors in the air in a box in the middle of a building, screaming and punching is probably not, punching's definitely not the best thing to do. So all these people are freaking out, and this one guy 
who was a man of God, all of a sudden had the presence of God just fall on him. And that's what I would have needed. And instead of freaking out, he was in the presence of God in the midst of that chaos. And he just reached over to this little box in the elevator, opened a door, and pulled out a phone and said, hey, we're stuck. <laughs> While everybody else is screaming and hitting the walls, and he says, hey, we're stuck. And very quickly, they came and got him. How many know that there's a little box in the moment of chaos, in the presence of God, that you can reach out to a God Almighty and you can talk to Him and have a direct line to Him and He'll hear you. That's a real God. Amen? Let's go over to the book of Isaiah real quick. And as you're getting there, I want to tell you a couple of verses in the Bible that are powerful about the presence of God. Psalm 16, we're going to Isaiah. Psalm 16, 11 says, In your presence is fullness of glory. In your presence is fullness of glory. What I really want to challenge you this morning to do and have in your life is the presence of God when you're not around anybody else. There's a blessing and a powerful, awesome thing that God did when he, invite, when he invented church. Now, unfortunately, none of you here today, obviously, because you're here. Unfortunately, there are people around the world who have issues with church. They don't go. They don't want to go. They don't like to go. And I know there's been people that have been hurt, and that's common sense. Amen? But I, I've never heard of somebody that got hurt in a hospital but needed an emergency room and said, well, I'm not going because I've been hurt there before. When you need an emergency room, you're going to go. Amen? But some, for some reason, people have issues with church, but you realize that God established this gathering together this morning for the reason that when we come together in corporate power and praise and worship, his presence comes in a mighty, powerful way. And he said, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst. Yeah. Right now, as we're sitting here, we can't see God, but we can feel him. We don't, we don't visibly touch him this morning, but we know he's here. Amen. You can see those fans moving and you cannot see the wind around it, but you can see the effects of the curtains moving. The presence of God is real in our lives. And in his presence is fullness of joy. Amen. Hebrews 13, 5 says, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Amen. Those are some powerful promises. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, if you seek me, you will find me. And when you search for me with all your heart. How many want to search for God this morning with all of your heart? Amen. I know that there's some people in here that love God. I hope all of us with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind and all of our strength. Isaiah chapter six shows us a powerful encounter of the presence of God. But before we read it, I want to give you a heads up of where it's going to start off by saying in the year of King Uzziah died. I want to give you an understanding of how how much we have to respect the presence of God. How many know that we all lack a respect of God. Amen. If we really could sometimes see how great He is and powerful He is, we would be more respectful Amen. in our lives. And that's just human nature, but that's why we need to be around the presence. That's why sometimes you might ask, God, why aren't you more there? Why don't I feel you all the time? How many have had those questions? God, where were you in this moment? Where are you at this moment? You have to understand that God wants us to respect his presence. He wants us to respect 
Him as who He is. And never, watch this, take for granted the presence of God. How many know we're good as human beings at taking things for granted? We can take for granted, church, that we can come in on a Sunday morning and a Sunday night and a Wednesday night and come in and even though many times we're in the flesh from things we're battling, we can fight that in the prayer room. We can battle those things and we can come in and we can lay those things down and God visits us regardless of of the situations that we're going through and we can take for granted the presence of God. Because how many know not everywhere you go, the presence of God is? Because how many know that people have to allow the presence of God to want to be there? If you might go, I'm not downing anything, but I guarantee you there's some churches you might not feel the presence of God. Why? Because they don't seek Him. It's not that God doesn't want to be there. God wants to be there, but we have to allow His presence to come in. We have to want His presence. He's saying right here, if if you seek me and find me, you are sorry, when you seek me and find me, you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And so we need to come in with that spirit. In this book of Isaiah, Uzziah, King Uzziah, was the hope. If you've read the Chronicles, 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles, you see the stories of all the kings that were ruling. They were like presidents today. They were ruling Judah. They were ruling Israel. They were ruling the places. And, and many times a godly king would stand up. And he would begin to follow, the Bible says, in the steps of his father David, in the, in the, in the lordship of that, of that kingdom, and they would do right in the eyes of God. But many more times than that, you'd have kings who would not follow in their footsteps, and they would be disrespectful. God wanted to use their lives, but they were disobedient, they were arrogant, they were prideful, and they, they really did not have God's heart. And so they would make Asherah poles, and they would, they would go and make idols, and, and so they would bring shame upon the, the nation of Israel, and people would die when they did this. And there's a story leading up to where we're going to read right here in Isaiah 6. I have to say this for you to understand it. When it says in the year King Uzziah died, he was following a couple of other kings, his fathers, who had not done right in God's eyes. And they were thinking and hoping, God, we need somebody to lead us. How many know today people need someone to lead them in the right way? There's plenty of options to to go the wrong path. But you know, there's some people in your life this morning around you in your circle of work and school and wherever you are that people need to be led and need someone who has the presence of God in their life, someone that, that you can, they can follow in the right way. Amen. Amen. We all, the Bible says, are led astray and we need someone to lead us. And so this king was the hope and for a while he was doing right. Say, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. All through the Bible, you see people who started good and didn't finish. And King Uzziah was the same way. He was doing well for a while. And how many know that you have to be very careful? If there's anything you, I could put in every message I ever preach in my life, no matter what the text is, I could write down these words. Stay humble. Stay humble. Walk in humility. Fight pride. Fight arrogance. Can you say amen? Pride is the God killer. Pride is the presence killer. Pride is the spirit killer. But when we are humble, and when we humble ourselves in His sight, and when we walk in humility, I promise you, that's where God's presence is. 
Can somebody get that simple thing this morning? That if you'll humble yourself, God will be around. If you begin to be prideful and arrogant and believe that you're somebody or believe that you know it all or believe anything like that, the Bible says God resists the prideful. I don't want to be resisted by God. I know that the, the anointing that I want on my life in His presence, not just to preach to you, but to, to be an example to my daughters, to be an example to my wife, to win people to the Lord in my daily walk, is that I need the presence of God in my life, and the only way He's going to habitate with me is if I walk in humility. Amen. Uzziah began to be prideful. He began to get where he thought he was somebody. And that could be easily done when you're a king. People are bowing down to him. People are telling him he's the man. People are seeking his counsel. And you have to be careful. It's an interesting thing because God wants us to bear fruit. He wants us to have souls saved. He wants people to be coming up to us and asking us, what do you have? How do I do this? How do I do that? But in those places of God anointing you and fruit coming into your life, you have to be very careful to continually always push all glory up to God. Never receive it, but say it's God's glory. This is for God's glory. If I'm good in any way, it's because of the God that's in me. And every time you see in the Bible where God's presence was, when it is lifted, it is because of pride. And King Uzziah begins to become prideful. And one day, he walks into the temple. And in the Old Testament, the temple was, you know, again, this is one of those things where I know we, we are in a, in a grace period and everything. But even today in the church, the church is not respected. The church building is not respected. Like it should be respected. Listen, I'm not going to go chase a rabbit. Amen. I ain't got nothing in my crawl this morning about it. But we don't respect the church even in the general sense of it like we should. This is God's house. It's just, yeah, it's just a building. But this is where God habitates. This is where God established us to meet together. And so there's a respect that they had in the Old Testament. And it was so strong that not only the priests could go in at certain times. Only the priests could touch certain things. And of course, this is why down the road, Jesus came along. Because even the priests failed. But they were chosen by God. And so King Uzziah, they would come in and they would, they would light the, the, the censers. And they would, they would take the communion. And they would touch the holy things. And they would do all the rituals. And the people would have to be reverent and careful. And of course you see that today in still the Catholic Church. And many churches where those things of the Old Testament have, have continued on. And unfortunately it's tradition and ritual and all those different things. And today that presence of God is not there. Because they're doing things out of ritual and not out of heart. And so this was happening back then and King Uzziah began to get really prideful and think he's somebody. And so all of a sudden he walks in, and this is in the book of Second Chronicles, and he walks in and he grabs the censer and he lights it himself. He begins to think, hey, I'm, I, you know, I'm the king. I'm, I can do this. And, and the priests walk in in a holy, righteous indignation and say, what are you doing? What are you doing lighting the censers? What are you doing touching things that are only supposed to be touched by the priests? And the Bible says that because he did that, he was struck with leprosy in his head. And the rest of his days, the rest of his days on the earth, he had a palace that he lived in. He was the king. He had a nice 
mansion that he lived in. And for the rest of his days till he died, he had to stay in a little place off away from the palace. And there he died because of the leprosy that was struck upon him. Because why? Because he did not respect the presence of God. He did not respect the things of God. Now, say with me, thank God. I'm in the New Testament. And I walk in the grace of God. Amen. Because we would all have leprosy. We would all be struck dead. Because we've all disrespected at some time or another God's things and God's house. But thank God we are walking in His grace. But I'm not a person that likes to take advantage or abuse. I like to learn from other people's lessons. Now read with me here. So now, bringing you that up to this, up to that point, he says, So King Uzziah died, and I saw the Lord sitting on a throne. This is Isaiah 6, verse 1. High and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. And it stood, above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings, those were angels, with two covering his face, two covering his feet, and with two he flew, and one cried to another. Now listen, these are angels, church. These aren't people, these are angels that said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. The house was filled with smoke. Now watch this. This is what I want you to see this morning as I close up this message. I want you to see that there is thing, there's something we can do to have the manifest, tangible presence of God in our lives. Watch what he does. He does not, we have to understand, when you are in the presence of the living God, there is no pride. Let me say that again. When you're in the presence of the living God, there is no pride. So think about this. If we would seek the presence of God and live a life worthy of the presence of God, we would not have to deal with pride. So when we begin to be prideful, it's because we have not been in the presence of God. Now, I'm not talking about the take-for-granted presence of God that we feel as a body when we're together at church. Because how many know that you personally, it's, I'm just throwing out one person individually, not anybody in particular, could come in and, 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 and could even care less about what's going on in church. Someone could be a visitor, could be a teenager that has never been to church, or somebody who who's just doesn't could care less, kind of like the guy we saw in the video last week that said, I don't care if he comes in five years or a million years. Then said he was a Christian later. I thought that was funny. Someone could walk in here this morning. You don't have Jesus Christ in your heart. You don't even know who God is. But because of the corporate uh, surrender to God, you could feel the presence of God. You could walk out of here and say, you know what, I, I don't know much about God or I don't know much about the Bible. But hey, someone could say to their mom or dad, you know, I, I felt something in that place. That's what, we're, that's what we're striving for. That when people walk in, I pray that every service, that when people walk through that front door, that it, they would feel the presence of God. That they would know that God's presence is in this place. And so we see here in this story that when the presence begins to fall, immediately something happens to Isaiah. Watch verse 5. He says, Woe is me, for I am undone. 
Watch what happens. Immediately, he says, I am a sinner. I am a sinner. So I, 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 I shouldn't be here. I'm out of place. There was a humility that came upon him. He didn't go, oh yeah, the presence of the Lord is here. The presence of the Lord is here. He didn't start dancing. There's nothing wrong with all that. But when he came into the presence of God for the first time, because he was a young person, a young boy, it was his first time, he fell basically to his knees and said, what am I doing here? I don't belong. How many know that kind of attitude is what God is looking for? A spirit of humility. He says, woe is me, I am undone. Watch this, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For I, my eyes, have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So what do we see here that's so important? We immediately see humility in the presence of God. I want you this morning to understand as we read this and we talk about the presence of God that, watch this, write this down if you're taking notes, heart and spirit, a heart and spirit of repentance brings in and ushers in the presence of God. A heart and spirit of repentance brings in and ushers the presence of God. Now, listen, if that's the case, and if the presence of God comes through humility and a heart that is right and pure, what will stop the presence of God from moving? What will hinder God's presence from moving? Not just corporately in church, but in your own life. Because again, I want you to think more outside of the church this morning than in. I want you to think more of the, again, taking for granted. How many know that when you come to church this morning on a Sunday morning, you might have been busy. You might not have had a chance to say some prayers before we got here. You ran in, you got dressed, you maybe slept over like some did because it was raining outside. Amen. It was dark. You got messed up. Alarm didn't go off. Or if it did, you hit snooze 25 times. Amen. And you're not here or you got here late. How many know that some people were praying this morning and fighting in the spirit to usher in the presence of God so that when you got here this morning, God would move. Amen. I mean, oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a job. It, it takes people to, to get here early and to pray and to prepare and so that you can come in and receive the corporate presence of God. But I don't want you to be happy with the corporate presence of God. I want you to understand what the personal presence of God is. The personal presence of God. When you're by yourself, when you're at your house, when you're in your car, when you're in the grocery store, when you're in trouble, the personal presence of God, where you say, man, God, I need you right now, and he shows up. For taking notes, not looking at it for time, Acts 3.19, verses 19 and 20 says these words, repent therefore and be converted that your sins would be blotted out. And watch this, so that times of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus Christ who was preached to before you. Now go to Psalms 46. It's going to be the last verse I'm going to read this morning. I want to close there in Psalms 46. All I can do is lead you to the water, but I can't make you drink. But I hope I'm leading you to a place this morning that makes you thirsty 
for the presence of God. Thirsty for the presence of God. Thirsty for the moving of the Holy Spirit in your life. Before we read Psalms 46, you know, I was thinking, God, one of the things I think interesting for me, this is my own personal walk, is I've seen God move so many times that I can't even remember them all. And that's a good thing. I don't, I don't, I don't have to live off of one experience. There's been so many that I, and I got to a place years ago where I said, God, I'm going to keep, I'm going to stop keeping trying to keep track. I'm just going to know you're good. Amen. And I just know you've been there so many times. But I thought, Lord, let me get, let me have an example. And y'all have heard me talk many times over the years of a testimony of losing a real close friend when I was in Costa Rica. And for those that don't know, I'll just say it quickly. It won't take long. I had, a, I was playing basketball and I had a very good friend of mine. My kids know him very well. His name was Sito, and he was a basketball player, and he was one of the best in the country, and we met on one of the first teams I played on, and we got to know each other, and he would ask me for a ride, and I'd give him a ride, and I began to share my faith with him and tell him about the Lord and just live my life, and we'd go back and forth from practice, and he'd hear me listening to my godly music and he'd ask me questions and I began to plant seeds in him and and then down the road uh, he began to get more open and then we both went to different teams and weren't on the same team anymore and he was on the national because he's Costa Rican he was on the national basketball team he was one of the greatest stars in the country he could he could dunk any ball you threw up towards the rim it was so fun to play with him anybody that knows basketball I could just throw the ball up anywhere within a five minute five foot radius of the rim and he would dunk it he, was so, he jumped so high. And uh, it, he, he began to come over to the house. My daughters remember that. He would, play, he would play dolls with one of the two. I don't remember which one. That made Destiny so happy. He wasn't homosexual or anything. He just, I don't know, he just liked dolls, liked to relate to her. And he would come over. He had the long dreads. And uh, he began to come and we would do Bible studies. And I began, he just began to get more and more hungry. He, but he loved to smoke marijuana. And that's kind of a cultural thing, especially in Costa Rica. And it was just something that they did. And he had a hard time getting rid of that. And then God began to deal with him on that. And then he stopped smoking. And along the way, he got saved. Gave his life to Jesus. And then near the end of his life, which most of you know what happened to him, he, he got to a place where he told me one time, he said, I don't even care about basketball anymore. He says, the only reason I play now is he'd get to these big exhibitions that they do. There was a team there. Uh, I was past the age of being able to dunk. I used to be able to. But I was past that age, and so I couldn't be on this team. It was like a high-flying team. They'd go around to schools, and they'd do all kinds of dunks, and they'd do all kinds of high-flying stuff. And so there was five or six players. And then at the, at the middle of the thing, they would do a little exhibition, and they would talk to the kids. But near the end of his life, this man began to stop at the middle at halftime and preach wow. to the kids. He'd preach to them. And I remember him telling me, man, I, just, I don't even care about basketball anymore. I was thinking, man, what is wrong with you? But he, what he was trying to say was that God had his, the presence of God and God had become so real in his life that he knew that his basketball was just a, a way to reach people. And so they, it wasn't even planned and they didn't ask him to do it and they didn't really give him permission to do it. But he would just stop and start preaching to the kids. And that's what he was doing the last few months of his life. And one day 
he was at one of these exhibitions in a, in a really nice part of town at a private school. Kids packed in that gym. And they're doing this exhibition. And he's 27 years old. They throw him a pass. He goes to catch it and doesn't catch it. And drops dead of a heart attack at 27 years old. That's young. That rocked my world in a way I can't even express. I mean, it jacked me up bad. I remember getting the call. Cito's dead. I was 30. I was young. I'm still young. But I was younger. And I remember, man, when I got that call, I just couldn't believe it. I said, God, there's no way. He's only 27 years old. How? How? And I remember driving to this hospital. And something came over me that said, go raise him from the dead. I'm not kidding. It was one of the rare moments in my life that I actually really felt and believed that I could raise him from the dead. And I'm not saying that boastfully. And I got to the hospital, and I asked, where is he at? And he was already in the morgue, below, down below. And they would not let me go see him, because I was not family. And I asked, and and I'm telling you, I don't know what would have happened. But I had so much faith in my spirit, so much something came upon me that I was going to go in there, I was going to get him up. I just felt it and believed it. I never got the chance. But from that day forward, I I remember getting into this crazy depression. I've told you guys about it before. It was one of the darkest points of my life where the devil took that situation and just made it an attack on my life. And I and I got to a place where I realized, God, the only way I'm I'm in another country, I I felt like and, and and, and I can't speak for women. But there's something that's said that when a man reaches 30 years old, I had the conversation with my dad. There's something in the early 30s that a man goes through where they finally realize they are not immortal. I don't I'm not going to ask this morning. Some of you men might have reached that early 30s where you just went through this crazy depression. And like I said, women, you have, I can't speak for you. I'm sure there's an age and a time, but you just realize, man, I'm not to my 20s. It's like when you're in your 20s, you feel like you can just, that you can't die. You can do anything. It doesn't matter what you do. You're just immortal. And all of a sudden it just hit me. And I realized how fragile and short my life was when this man just died. When, and I felt like God took him from me. I was excited about his conversion and I I wanted to do things with him and I wanted to preach with him. And I wanted to to see him grow in the Lord. And he was gone. And he was a very, very close friend. It was hard. But I can tell you that the presence of God came into my life like I'd never known the presence of God before. And I didn't get mad at God and I didn't get prideful in God. I humbled myself like never before. And I said, God, I need your presence. I need you now. And I remember, and I'll close with this. I remember my dad had had visited not too long before. How many know that God knows everything we're going to go through? He has every, he knows already. And, And listen, for you that's here this morning, someone needs to hear this. God already has Tomorrow and next week and next month already lined out for you. He knows what you're going to go through. He knows what you're struggling. He knows what you're going to need. And if you'll just trust him, 
And if you'll just stay in his presence, he will walk everything out for you. It's when we get out of his presence that we get into the flesh. It's when we get out of his presence that we get into what we can do. We can give what we have. And then we miss the boat. Because in God's presence, that word said, there is fullness of glory. Amen. Amen. And I remember being here, visiting my dad, and he gave me a CD. He gave me a CD while I was here. There was this man that was singing at the church he worked at. And I, and I took it, and I didn't think anything about it. And for some reason, that day when I got that news, I was heading back from the hospital to my house or to the church. I don't remember what I was doing, where I was going. God said, pull that CD out. And I pulled it out. And I put it in. And that became the presence of God for the next three months. It was an anointed, it was a man that's not known today. He's, he, I mean, obviously some people know him, but he's not a big name singer. But there was songs three, four, five, and six that were worship songs. And I, and I listened to it so much that if you can wear a CD out, I did. Over and over and over and over and over and over. You know some of them artists. I've let you hear them. Me and Tyrone. Tyrone, I gave one to Tyrone. He wore it out. We sometimes would drive around still and listen to these songs, and it still comes back. And it's not that, that it, the presence of God is in a song, so just a song, but God will give you what you need at the moment that you need it. Amen. And that presence will come, and it will be so real. And when it's God, you just run with it. And those songs ministered to me so much, and then later on, musicians, you can come. I got a chance to meet him personally. And thank him for that CD. Thank him for being obedient to the Holy Spirit. It was a live CD. If anybody wants it, I'll get you a copy of it. It'll rock you, mess you up in a good way. But it was songs. Watch this. Don't, don't turn me off. It was songs like you and you alone. You and you alone. I worship you. You and you alone. Savior more than life to me. And there was like love songs. And God was saying, I love you. You love me. I'm what you need. In another country, facing depression, facing fear, facing anxiety, facing this not even midlife crisis, whatever you want to call it in your 30s, whatever it was I was going through, God showed me how real he was. Nobody can take that away from me. You need to get to a place, if you have not yet today, where you know the presence of God. Where it's not where you have to call somebody. And there's nothing wrong with calling somebody and saying, hey, would you pray with me? It's where you don't have to call somebody. You know where to go. That quiet place, the secret place. If it's a song, it's a song. If it's a prayer, it's a prayer. But there's a place you go when you're being attacked and it's in the presence of God. You say, God, I know in your presence is fullness of joy. Because Psalms 46, which I've had you there for a while, I'm not going to read the whole thing, says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Listen to that, a very present, meaning presence, time of help in trouble. He says, we don't have to fear, even though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. 
Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with swelling, there's a river whose streams shall make the city of God the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. And you can read the rest later, but it goes on all the way to the end to a verse many of you will know. Verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I can't tell you and you can't tell me for your I can only answer for me and I can tell you God is real. God is real. And this morning, I want you to know him. He wants you to know him. I can't say he wants to know you because he already does. But he wants you to know him. He wants you to know that he's the one that you should run to when you're in trouble. He's the one that you should run to when you're struggling. He's the one. Amen.